guess, aka the wizard sleeve. Cruise control, Tommy, sit back. Millennium Noggin is uh, in the air, mm. blasting mm. across the universe, and we actually have an in-studio in Millennium in Noggin guest today, the very big, in all senses of the word, yeah. Luke Lehman from Muscle Nerds. Well, he, he um, didn't he say he, he's lost his gorilla suit? Yeah. Because he has, uh, when you say a big dude, like, uh, I remember him, the and we, we I think we spoke about this, yes. the... I think it was the biosig in arizona whatever year it was 2012 13 or something where it was the media of the minds everyone was there at, at charlie boy's uh at biosig and um uh lehman and uh nick mitchell were just jacked off their heads they just looked <laughs> ginormous and that was the first uh first time i actually had uh come across luke and yeah. um and it's like who's that guy man he's massive but uh shadow of his former self these days but still there's a fair bit of meat there isn't there but there's just so much energy coming off him it was mm. it was uh when we spoke to him it was hard to um just maintain yes the equilibrium he, he came in here all guns blazing fantastic conversation and today mm. rawdon uh we're going to cover a few topics with luke we're going to talk about energy balance and yes. uh, we, we have sort of explored this with dan garner mm. and a few other people mm. in the past we'll get luke's spin on things about the the other factors outside of calories in calories out that mm. can influence mm. the overall energy balance yep. um, luke takes a nice little angle when he talks not just about the assimilation of nutrients but what's actually been utilized in the mitochondria of the cell yeah he's just starting to open the door into this mitochondrial function mm. as a the crab cycle i think a, we know it as. as somewhere where the industry will start to move towards in the future which i thought was very interesting mm. Mm. and mm. uh and then also we talk about the ketogenic diet Ah. And um, and he also talks about his development through the industry and mm. and Fascinating. his philosophies on things. So Luke Lehman from Muscle Nerds, and really excited to have him on the show. And we had all the bells and whistles. There were there were there, oh, were, yeah. there were when we were measuring ketones, beta hydroxybutyrate. There were yes. blood samples given. He yes. had this this. Uh, it was like he had a you know when the you roll out your, your knives when you're about to kill <laughs> someone and you pick your knife that you <laughs> he rolled out all this little yeah. these packs and these little leather cases, opened them up, and there were all sorts of monitors and. Mm. And I think you were. Uh, I think I came through okay, but your blood sugar was a little bit higher. You well, put I it down to coffee. I think your blood sugar was a little higher as well. Nah, but, no, it was, it was quite fine. I'm pretty sure. But uh, <laughs> but interestingly, uh, yours was uh, a little up, and we thought it, it might have been the the coffee that you had, you know, mucking around because the, the, they say to, that that will um, yeah. affect blood sugar levels or well, insulin well, levels. Or well, it can um, induce a low level 
stress response. So mm -hmm. there are some stress hormones floating around, which mobilize some, mobilize some, glucose. some energy and maybe some glucose in the bloodstream. Yep. And, and that would explain that. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> telling myself anyway. Excellent. So Luke Lehman from Muscle Nerds coming up very shortly. Rawdon, later next month, so March, we've got the Arnold Sports Festival. You'll be down in Melbourne. Broderick yep. Chavez, the evil genius, is coming down to Australia. He'll down be in under. Melbourne for that. And we thought while he's here, we may as well spend some time with him in some sort of quirky environment. We'll be foolish not to, Tommy, but that's what we thought. And I think we have got a couple of really cool, uh, in air quote, quirky venues. So it should be a, a, a lot of fun. I think the first will be kicking off in uh, Melbourne on the 15th, I think, Tommy? Yes, Friday the 15th Friday of the March 15th, yep. in Melbourne. And then we go up to Sydney for the Friday the 22nd of March. Yep. And, and I also will I'll just I'll mention that yep. we actually, uh, Brods and I will fly over to Perth thanks to Richard Collins' physique code. We're going to do a little uh, cameo over there for the day, Wednesday the 20th, I think it is. And yep. then we're back in Sydney, like you said, for... Uh, our Evil Genius uh, Australia tour um, on the Friday. So a uh, busy week for all of us, but uh, mm -hmm. super excited with that one. So the concept for the seminar, Rawdon, is vectors of sports performance. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, if you've listened to the last episode we had with Brods, between the three of us, we said vector probably seven to eight Five times. It was, the, it was times. The, we were vectoring hard. Yes, yes. That was the word of the day. And so we've created the seminar, vectors of sports performance. We're yep. looking at uh, strength development, the Makes role sense. of muscle mass, uh -huh. probably fitness, yep. uh, sports psychology, yep. uh, the role of sports pharmacopoeia and uh -huh. how it influences all of these things, nutrition, programming, and we're going to do our best. No, we, we will. Yes. We will keep we will cam on the straight and narrow. Straight and narrow, yeah, right. Broads <laughs> on the straight and narrow, that's funny. Uh, but that's that's going to be our role, yeah. So yep. it will be yourself, myself up there moderating the, the day and then keeping our broads on track. Yes. But uh, really excited with the, the topics you're going to cover. And each section will be thoroughly... Uh, uh, probed, covering all uh, dotting I's and crossing T's with each of those. Plus, we're also going to have, uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, other considerations and, and uh, genetics, genetics will fall in there. Yep. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss the role of that. And I'm sure that's going to play a big role as well. Mm. But um, certainly for uh, anyone that, that does work with athletes, super, super, uh, you know, important for you guys and girls. But uh, I'm sure a lot of it you'll be able to transfer over to Gem Pop and uh, anyone that's after a bit of performance and. Um, in the hypertrophy training or strength training. So yep. really excited for that one. So you can go to Evil Genius Worldwide to get tickets for that. There are early bird specials on at the moment. You can mm -hmm. get the tickets for 150 bucks. 150. We want to keep it small, so we're limiting to like 30-odd. Yep. There'll be mm -hmm. some pre-seminar content that'll come through. There'll yep. be at least an hour of um, good quality sectioned audio to set the stage for what you'll be learning on the day. EvilGeniusWorldwide.com if you'd like to get those tickets for Melbourne and Sydney. Yeah, and we'll mention that uh, Sabido, uh, all things been equal, Sabido will be on board with samples of his EAAs and um, other products there. And we've also... Um uh, got uh, Carlo from uh, Food for Fitness have actually come on board and uh, they're yes. going to provide the meals for the day. So super excited about that. I have sampled and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will have uh, uh, taken advantage of the Food for Fitness meals. And um, every attendee will get a discount code as well. So you'll be able to get discounted meals thereafter from Food for Fitness, which is a Sydney-based company. But uh, oh, that's pretty good. we're going to see if logistically they can get it down because they are frozen meals and we'll heat them up on the day. Yeah. But uh, we're going to try and get them down to uh, Melbourne as well, all things being equal. So okay. super, super excited for that. Very exciting stuff. Uh, we've got Luke Lehman coming up shortly. Rawdon, you're back on the tools. If someone would like to work with you either yep. online or face-to-face, -face, how yep. do they get in contact? 
yeah, I am doing a little bit of uh, face-to-face PT. I can take on a couple more sessions there. So if they do want to get me to uh, crack the whip and um, you know, check the, uh, and they can get to the Lift Performance Center out of Redfern, I'm happy to uh, uh, work with them in that regard. But yeah, online coaching, obviously for physique prep or any body composition uh, uh, change thereafter. But really, really simple. Uh, the Dubois Method.com. If you want to shoot me an email direct or on any of my uh, Instagram uh, uh, social media outlets, so Instagram and Facebook, the Dubois Method message me there yeah awesome and what if, about yourself man what do you, uh, what you got? yeah you can go to tomhewitt.com dot to mm-hmm. uh, check out various things I think on that website at the moment it's basically all about PT mentoring mm-hmm. I have a, a sort of a fairly structured three session yeah. little mentoring program yep. which is designed to be interactive so we sort of uh, I do it on you as we go through the content oh, do it on them <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me just get this picture uh, yeah oh yeah very appropriate there you go yeah, those kind of notes that you make and uh, then yeah satellites or online coaching that kind of stuff is available as well so uh, yeah tomhewitt.com.au Cam if you could uh, hit us with some sort of uh, noggin sting Rawdon before we get to Luke Lehman Mm. very very tragic news Uh, a close colleague of ours uh, Brad Soper has uh, died and I don't know, it was a real shock when it came yeah, through. But absolutely. Th- then if it wasn't bad enough that someone like Soaps that young would, would die in pretty freakish and tragic circumstances, the, yeah. the spilling of that across mainstream media and social media yeah. has certainly been uh, equally tragic. Yeah, and I think that's, um, that's really a, a tough pill to swallow for everyone that uh, knew Brad and... Um, you know, it, it the, the media is reporting it as, as some sort of house invasion gone wrong, and um, you know the the house invader sort of got what he deserved type thing, and and um, and that was that was what the the people that knew nothing of him were, were sort of writing on his uh, social media uh, wall on uh, Instagram and Facebook, I think, and 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 that for a lot of uh, us that know Brad was was really. Um, really tough to sort of see and mm. um, quite a few got on social media and, and reached out and said you know this is just just ridiculous you don't know the guy and it's completely out of character and and you know I guess we'll, we'll find out in time hopefully what what actually happened but um, but yeah absolutely tragic that he, that he left his life and really young I didn't know I think uh, you know early 30s mid, early mid 30s mm. uh, soaps was and um, and uh, it look from the outside looking in and uh, it looks like um you know that was it was uh, some sort of uh, mental uh, illness or issues going on, and, and that that's the tragedy of it all. It, yeah. it sounds like it was just um, yeah, almost like a breakdown for him, and um, it ended up with him losing his life, which is which is absolutely horrific. But um, clearly, he wasn't in his right mind. We've spoken about genetics in terms of sports performance and all kinds of stuff in this program, yeah. Ruin. But you know there is genetic predispositions to mental illness and yeah. and i know brad had sort of battled with a few of these issues in the past and then mm. a, a confluence of circumstances in life have led him to a point where yeah he clearly was not in his right mind and he found himself in a very unfortunate vulnerable circumstances and the worst thing that could have happened that could happened. have happened happened yeah um and i think uh i mean social media is just such a bizarre thing like it has this strange uh, almost infantilizing effect yeah. on grown adults where they start behaving like children, children in a playground slinging mud 
and they would never, never say the things they put online in context of being in front of another human being. It, it's no, they wouldn't. They wouldn't. And the thing is, like back in the day, there was just no outlet for this. But yes. social media makes it so easy for people to pass judgment and, and, and write comments. And it's somehow empowering when they do it. It's, mm. it's, it's an acceptable. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's absolutely crazy. But, uh, but what we want to do today is, um, is actually, you know, reminisce on some of the amazing things that, that we do remember with Brad. And yes. uh, we had the... And, and, you know, I would 100% say, much like others, you know, the Poliquin, uh, you know, Broderick, the Hanselmans of the world, Brad is up there as well to have heavily influenced what I've done over the years. And, yes. you know, for me, what I take most away from Brad and anyone that knows Brad, uh, has there anyone that's seen Brad train? Uh, like uh, Andy Bell sort of comes, I would put him in a similar, yep. but, but different. Andy's more like from a bodybuilding perspective, but I've never seen anyone apply themselves so engross themselves so deeply into a session and you know see the look in his eyes when he's finished that set you know and and for me i often struggle to to get in the the, the headspace to, to 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 train and do mm. all that sort of stuff and i'd often use brad as a as a vehicle to motivate me somewhat being obviously quite a bit older than him but i'd, I'd be sort of uh inspired if you will by by brad's uh, tenacity and this 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 uh this this manic sort of uh, intensity that it would bring to his training sessions, and yes. I, I mean, I, every training session was like that, and um, and he was so passionate about uh, strength and conditioning, and uh, you know, uh, he I know he's mentored with by by Woodski, Derek Woodski, obviously an amazing uh, strength and one of the arguably one of the best in the world, mm-hmm. and um, but he lived and breathed uh, strength and conditioning, and really went off. He really found his his passion and direction in the the PT world, and um, yes. I don't think I think that evolved. Like obviously, he he, he did have those. Um, it was driven in that regard for strength and performance. But you know, under the, the the clean health with the rest of us, he 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 managed to hone that craft, and, and I think he really found his his direction, and um, and then evolved in that, and uh, really established himself. I think as a as a, a legitimately credible strength and conditioning coach, and was getting amazing results with a lot of uh, a lot of athletes that he came into touch with, and and mentored a ton. Like I've seen mm. so many people come out and say, "Yeah, Brad was doing this with me, doing that with me." So he was, you know, almost at the pinnacle of uh, like the, his his uh, the peak of his powers. P- peak of his powers, yeah, and uh, and to see it uh, uh, him lose all that. Uh, like you said, just an unfortunate yeah. um, chain of events. It's just tragic, man. You mentioned uh, Andy Bell, and he's probably the people I've seen in the flesh. Andy Bell probably can tolerate mm. uh, volume better than anyone I've seen. Brad Soper had work capacity Yo. that I had never seen, Unbelievable. In, never seen in the flesh. His ability to lift incredibly heavy loads over and over again in the context of a strongman challenge yeah. was just freakish he, he, his work capacity was unbelievable yeah and and you made uh you know good times back at the and i actually had the pleasure of working with him at the lift performance center there for for, for a duration after yeah. he left the chpc but but uh, you recall you know just being with soaps on the floor it was uh, and he was always there first thing in the morning with yep. uh, greg and you know he certainly did the hard yards and um you know, it was uh, it was great to work alongside him because he he did lift me up when I was on the floor. Yeah, uh, doing what I did with my with my clientele. Yeah, so. I used to. I'd love being on the floor with Brad, much like yourself, Rodan. It would be I would use like say I had a client and we were doing the, you know their first phase of relative strength training or something. Yeah. I could always say, Hey, soaps, just yeah. sort of you know working with such and such. We're developing the nervous system. Yeah. You know, what are your thoughts on that? And he would chuck in and he'd yeah. come out with this great new perspective and i thought it was it would add great value to my product that i could pull in people like yes. 
myself or Brad yep. to you know enhance the experience of my clients. Mm. Uh, and he was soaps was always so much fun. Like mm. you'd always have fun with Brad. You could tell like from his <laughs> rugby league background yeah. that he would be great to be on your team. Like, yeah, and, and there and was that. Back. <laughs> there was that period where he was actually the PT manager yes. at Clean Health. Yeah, at the end there definitely. And um, the staff meetings. Oh know, my god! He, he gave <laughs> he gave his speeches like it was like a halftime rev yes. up for a grand final yeah. footy match or something. I think like they were that. like sort of fist pumps in there. Fist pumps. Yeah, and, hand, and just like f bombs left, right, and center but but that but that was Brad like zero that was Brad there was given, like. there was one in particular that made me laugh for days afterwards there was an issue with not the coaches packing away their stuff but <laughs> clients of coaches leaving leaving stuff out and Brad was there you know and him saying you gotta get your clients to put your shit away and if yeah. you see someone else's client leaving the shit out tell them to put the shit away I mean <laughs> How were they like it if we were staying at your client's house and we went into the kitchen and pulled out all their pots and pans and they just left their <laughs> shit out? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I remember that one as well. That's hilarious. It was uh, because I would sort of say to now Soaps, this is your response as club manager. I say your responsibility. You got to get the team to put their stuff away. I'm not going to deal with it. So then he took the reins and, and addressed the guys and you know. But it, it was so much like you said, a halftime. Uh, I could just imagine in the in the locker rooms and uh, yeah. you know pacing back and forth oh. and. Uh, yeah, man, it was. Uh, it's a you know absolute pleasure to have uh, him to be touch my life the way he has, and um, it's a, it's a, it'll be a loss having not having him around and, mm. and not get to see what amazing things he he he, he has done, but go on to uh, the bigger and greater things in the industry. It's, yeah. a, it's it's quite sad. On a personal note, I'd like to just send best wishes to Paul yes. Stevenson from yeah. Physiquewise. Um, he was, you know, Paul's a good friend and colleague and client of yours and mine, yep. Rawdon. And I know he'd been working and mentored with Brad very closely. They'd done some seminars together. I know they yeah. had plans for this year. I'm sure Paulie's taking it pretty hard. Yeah. So best wishes to you, Paulie. And for all the other guys in the Dan same Dan O'Neill as well. And I know they were very close. So, yeah, it's a sad and tragic time. Luke Lehman from Muscle Nerds. <laughs> well, here he is, uh, Luke Lehman. I really appreciate you coming down into the mm. studio. And now I understand why you insisted upon doing it. There is a difference yeah. in the energy between the computer screen. The energy balance between all three of us, Tom. Yes, in fact. absolutely. Exactly. A long time coming, Tommy. We've, yeah, uh, absolutely. We've been a bit sloppy. and uh, But, you know, we had to wait to get him into the studio. Everything so he's happens, here now. happens in the right time at the right mm. way. So it's very easy to say that energy balance is the be-all, end-all, or the prerequisite for any dietary strategy. Mm. But within that concept, there are many factors that can contribute to how relative that concept actually is, Luke. Absolutely. So, look, at the end of the day, you can't make something out of nothing. We know that. So calories in versus calories out, that is king. However, what people have to realize is that when you look at the calories in portion and the calories out portion, there's a lot of factors that go into that. And if you just look at the calories in, once you swallow food, that doesn't necessarily mean it's getting into circulation. There's a lot of issues that can, that can be had with, with digestion assimilation and, and people don't think about this and, you know, they, they swallow food and they don't think, of, you know, what's really actually happening here and am I, am I getting all this into my body? Because the, the alimentary canal from your mouth to your anus is just, it's a tube, 
okay? And it has skin in it, just like the skin on the outside of your body. And that skin keeps some things in, it keeps some things out. And that's how it protects you. So, you know, if you run a, uh, uh, you can run a, a fecal sample and look at people's, what's coming out of people's butts. And you can see that people are shitting out fat, shitting out carbs, shitting out protein. And then, you know, there's a lot of stuff with the microbiome. And I don't get into that too much because the science is changing. What mm. what we used to know about that even last year, I've pulled all of that stuff out of our muscle nerve seminars because it's just, it's too hard. You really need an expert that knows what they're talking about. Mm. But at the end of the day, people need to be aware of that, right? So yeah. things like stress, stress can alter how you digest and assimilate things. And then people don't think about the fact that assimilation doesn't end when it gets in your body. It still has to be able to get into the cell and then it has to get into the mitochondria and that's where all the magic happens. Interesting. So in a... a to summary of that, it's uh, you may think you're eating 1,200 calories, but it may in fact be far, far less than that. Absolutely, we had a we had a student that came to, to one of our seminars in Perth. He was eating 7,000 calories and couldn't gain weight. Okay, so we ran some biometrics. We looked at his blood pressure. We looked at his heart rate. We looked at his HRV. Started training with us. We added a digestive uh, uh, proprietary blend from Thorn, and he's on 2500 calories start putting weight on you know basically he's just waste, wasting money by just shitting all his food out interesting so it can go the other way as well where yeah. you know because I, I mean look in in my world where i am pushing calories into some individuals to 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 grow yeah like it's like mm, you shouldn't need this many calories but we'll keep going and that's with you know digestive enzymes and clean food and and all that type of stuff so yeah i think it's probably more widespread than, than what we comprehend yeah. Okay, so we go, food goes into your mouth, then you try... And then out to, the anus. And, and out the anus, and in between whence, there'll be various amounts of assimilation. And then you alluded to the mitochondria, which is another source where there could be a leak of energy. Yeah, absolutely. So the majority of this, what we probably should talk about is like vitamins and minerals. A, vitamins and minerals, and then also stress. Right? The, the, and then training, too. So if... We're big on keeping your aerobic and anaerobic systems balanced out. And if you look at the majority, you've got these guys, the hashtag fuck cardio crowd. They're fucking morons. Like, mm. they're, they're not understanding this. Mm. And mm. this is why you see people dying in their 50s or having renal issues in their 50s, not just because of the drugs, it's because they're not actually taking care of their mitochondria and they're aging rapidly. And that you're, if your mitochondria start becoming dysfunctional, you age rapidly and you move, I don't want to say disease, but more, more to dis-ease, right? Because mm. your mitochondria is where you make a lot of the things you need to, to repair, right? So um, you're looking at things like B vitamins, B1, B2, B3, B5, B6, B9, B12. You need these to make all of these bioenergetics work properly. You need magnesium, you need zinc, you need manganese, you need copper. There's a ton of stuff you need. And this is what, what kills me. This People are talking about all these different diets and training and drugs and all this, and nobody's taking a fucking multivitamin. That's the easiest insurance you have is to take a really good multivitamin, multimineral, to assure that you're getting this stuff in. And then above and beyond that, we'll, we will typically give somebody a digestive enzyme. Because again, if you have dysfunctional mitochondria, you're not making gastric juices like you should, so you're not going to be able to break down and digest things well. Okay, so we will, the first when we first start training people, we'll more often than not put them on some type of synergistic blend that takes care of the stomach and the small intestine and the colon and all this stuff. When they start digesting better, prettier poop, faster digestion times, then we'll pull them off of that stuff. And then everything works fairly easily. Interesting. And um, have you taken the time to, I'm sure you would have, but I'll ask it anyway. So someone comes in like that 7,000 calorie scenario, uh, test the stool, see all 
pile of stuff in the stool, change things up, test the stool again and see, a, like you said, a prettier looking stool. Do, have you actually gone to that length with some individuals and actually not, seen? Not really anymore because I'm now of the opinion that you shouldn't run tests unless you absolutely need to. I mean, it's just extra sure. money. Like For why sure. you're going to, I have no people in Australia that run $5,000 worth of fucking tests yeah. when you could probably just sit down and interview them for 90 minutes and figure all their shit out. For sure. And if you can't figure it out within, you know, the first three or four months, then it's probably out of your pay grade anyways, and you should probably refer out. And so now we have other people run tests. The, the tests that I'll typically run if I need to, I'll run a, I'll run a biochemistry panel, so I'll run bloods yep. and I'll run organic acids tests. You know, and that pretty much gives me everything I need to know, especially with nutrient deficiencies. Mm. And organic acids, you want to just elaborate? I think most of our listeners will be familiar with blood work, but organic acids is yeah, so urine or? It's basically looking at metabolites of, uh, metabolites of metabolism. So yep. you look what it's a urinary test. So there's some things you have to do, like not eating certain foods for a few days. You pee in a cup and then you send it off. And basically it's measuring what's high and low as far as like metabolism pyruvate and lactate what's happening in electron transport chain in the mitochondria and you know you can see a lot of things on there whereas man this guy might have he might have a thiamine deficiency so maybe we give him some b1 boom it's easy fix but i I rarely even do that anymore unless people will come to me with a lot of labs and i'll just kind of look at their labs and give it a look over and say okay you know this stuff is pretty easy to fix here you go here's a broad spectrum multivitamin multimineral and we're going to do a little bit more aerobic and we're going to cut down on the hit training you know, and you, the majority of the people that come to us are so out of balance with how their bioenergetics is flowing is that they, they get winded walking up a flight of stairs and their legs are on fire walking up a flight of stairs, which to me is ridiculous, you know. Mm, so a lot of yeah. the testing we do now is, is there testing I can do or that the client can do at home that's repeatable daily and weekly without having to nice. go to a lab and spend a lot of money? So we utilize waking heart rate, waking HRV, blood pressure. Then we look at things like, um, if they can, the fasting uh, lactate that we were talking about off air earlier. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. I, I also run the, and through spending time with Broderick, he, he has his uh, list of things that he will get periodically, like weekly certain measures, every every uh, uh, month certain measures, every three months, et cetera, et cetera. And I do run um, the uh, four times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, they send the BP, uh, the report that they submit at the end of the week and uh, heart rate. And uh, one that... Uh, Ty Phillips, I, you, I think you would know yeah. Ty. Yeah. Uh, you obviously know Ty, and a lot of our listeners would know Ty. Awesome kid. Um, highly stressed uh, environment, sort of was moving out of a yeah, somewhat of a, a toxic household where he was at. Blood pressure was up around 150 on 90, borderline hypertension. And um, so I'm like, okay, we've we'll, we'll got to get this looked at. And, uh, and he manages his, he's pretty savvy. He's not like an idiot. He's well-versed in the functional uh, medicine side of things. And mm-hmm. And he was having various meditation practices and obviously all the supplementation, so the you know the digestive enzymes and everything else. So imagine all that was being done. But all he changed was his uh, living environment. And he is a bit of a stress head. I mean, I will say that on air, and, and he'll probably agree. But anyway, change that. And within, uh, so I was looking at um, sending him to the GP to um, actually medicate while he was doing this prep. Uh, Lisinopril, I think... Uh, not telling our listeners i mean it's obviously through a doctor anyway it wasn't like i was saying just treat yourself go in check the blood pressure if it's high suggest this because it has i think the least amount of concerns from a training perspective but bring bp down while he's doing this particular prep and um long story short moved settled into a new environment and blood pressure came down yeah so Talks it went from one, do one, it. like that was just stress dude so yeah. looking at it i mean i wouldn't have known and then also coincidentally body comp body fat's fallen off him now yeah. like uh, as soon as the as soon as the stress came down and it was 
I could only gauge that by, uh, you know, his fundamentally his blood pressure and heart rate, and they both came down, and lo and behold, the body comp started improving, and productivity went up, his training numbers came up in the gym, and everyone lives happily ever after. So, yeah, stress... Uh, it's amazing because it's invisible. I mean, how do we, how do we, yeah, how do we know you're stressed? Like, well, the thing is, your brain will keep you from feeling stressed. If you have long term chronic stress, the brain's going to do everything it can to save itself. So, mm. more often than not, when I have somebody come in and we do the first interview, they're like, you know, hey, how's your stress? Oh, I don't feel stress. And then an hour later, they're crying and dry <laughs> heaving and they're talking about how they hate everything in their life. And I'm like, oh, I thought you weren't stressed. All right, yeah. cool. Let's work on that first. Mm. <laughs> and, and, and even what uh, what you said the other week there, like you uh, more than I mean, you know, Tom's known for his ability to manage lifestyle and you do consults for to address others mm. lifestyles and set up their lifestyle. And they, they always uh, you found yourself that, that yeah look I what you were doing I spent a few days up on the coast and just totally unwound and it was the trip back to Sydney I could literally feel the physiology changing I was like the memory or the association with just my life in Sydney is triggering a physiological response which I've just grown accustomed to and lived with I think what you're saying Luke is you know the body adapts to the stresses that you place on it well, on, I mean, we started with energy balance, but this is perfect to segue into, um, you know, lifestyle management and stress management. And uh, I know the muscle nerves is famous for least mode. I mean, that's been thrown around out there. So mm. Tommy and I were, were curious as to finding out what this is all about. And, um, you know, a couple of questions that I'll throw to you is, you know, from a training perspective, how do we know if they're doing too much? How do you quantify that? And also, are we supposed to be sympathetic, parasympathetic, and never any between? Or, or do you find that... Um, you know, we, we, we sort of fluctuate throughout the day and that's and that's healthy. It's when we spend too much in a sympathetic state and we're running on, you know, adrenaline and we never go into parasympathetic that becomes problematic because, you know, if there's not a little bit of sympathetic, you know, I don't get out of bed. You know what I mean? I'm just in, ah, you know, there's no urgency. Yeah, you know, I'll lay in for a little bit longer, but got to go. We've got Luke Lehman coming in the, the studio. Show. And, boom, and then up, boom, 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 walking in efficiently. So... Let's explore that side of things. Yeah, so look, the, the default mode for humans is a parasympathetic state. That's where you're supposed to be the majority of the time. But without a sympathetic state, you don't have a reason to adapt. So this is why we train. We don't, we don't have that in our lives anymore. We're not hunting or gathering or fighting off saber-toothed tigers or other people anymore, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, that hour you have, you know, whether it's three, five, seven days a week, that's your time to go and, and push yourself into that. But unfortunately... You know, over the last 20, 20 years or so, you know, we've got the internet, social media, and career, career, career. People are away from like family. It's all about career and like killing yourself to try to provide a better life for your family and, and trying to get ahead and comparing yourself to everyone else. So we live in this toxic, weird, artificial state that now we have to do things to to counteract what we're doing to ourselves with things like career and, and toxic relationships and, and living in, you know, a, a place like Sydney, which is mm -hmm. like hustle bustle and noisy mm -hmm. and EMF and all this stuff. So and that's what people aren't, aren't understanding. When you look at now, it's 2018, right? And we're training like people trained in the 60s and 70s, like really high volume and cutting the calories, but we can't train like that anymore unless if you go to, you know, move to Southern California and you're able to sit on the beach or move yeah. to San Diego and like all you do all day is train and eat and sleep and shit, then yeah. you're probably pretty good, but that's not realistic for the majority of the people that, especially for like, uh, that jump on stage because they have that, that's not gonna pay your bills. You still have to have a job and all this other stuff and manage your social media, manage all the other stuff in your life. So people have an issue just doing nothing, yes. right? In the past, we could just sit under a tree 
and watch the grass grow. And for whatever reason, we can't do that anymore because you're going to sit under the tree and you're going to search social media yeah. or think of something else. And people have a really hard time relaxing. And, you know, that we had a lot of clients where the first thing we tell them to do is you need to take a fucking holiday. You need to take a holiday and you need to leave your computer and your phone at home and just go to the beach. And I'm the worst at this, yeah. right? But you just, you just go to Fiji or you go somewhere and you just sit on the beach and you do fuck all but get drunk, I don't know, wank and do whatever else you do on vacation, <laughs> have sex or whatever. So, you know, and do absolutely nothing. But the problem is, as you can see, you go off on, on holiday and you feel great. Your HRV climbs, you're, you're able to get like rest, relaxation. You could probably drink 20 beers a day and get leaner yeah. by doing that. And, uh, but then you've, you've got to come back to reality at some point. So what I like is I like teaching people visualization, right? So like really, really hammering and getting a mental image of where you were on that beach or on a mountain mm. or whatever. And instead of just meditating, try to take yourself back to that spot. We find that works really good for people because people are in the meditation now, but they're, they're doing a lot of guided meditation, which I love, but they're just trying to sit there and they think that meditation is sitting there and thinking about nothing, but that's not actually technically true. Yeah. Visualization works a lot better in conjunction with the meditation to bring you back and bring your, your stress levels back down. Yeah, because the visualization actually triggers an emotional response. If you're clear enough with the visualization, you can pick yourself back at that beach or whatever it is and notice all of the sights and sounds and the smells the and things up, that you experience. Sunset in the background. Grass thongs on. All Sand in your, in your crotch. Yeah, yeah, all that kind of stuff. And stuff. it does trigger an emotional, yeah. an emotional response. And if you do it a few times, you can call on it quickly in a stressful situation or you know in between meetings or whatever you can just go back there yeah. bring it up feel the wellness and move on yeah absolutely so for our listeners that um okay we sort of painted a picture that most of us are probably uh and and for our listeners that aren't aware quick overview of sympathetic parasympathetic for them Okay, so you've got your autonomic nervous system, which basically what people refer to as fight or flight and then yeah. you know, rest and restore. Where I, I like the fucking and feeding. That's what I like for <laughs> parasympathetic. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're supposed that the sympathetic state is there for survival. We're not supposed to live in it 24, yep. 365, right? But that's what people are doing. So mm-hmm. when you get in a fight or flight state, your body's wanting to make fast energy. So the oxidation rates of sugar and, and fat kind of go down and you get stuck in what's called fast glycolysis where you're making a lot of really fast energy but you're not making a whole lot of it really quickly and so you get to the point where if this happens for a long enough time people start getting really fatigued they start getting mitochondrial issues and uh, the mitochondria start to get dysfunctional they start to die off and then you start having a harder and harder time actually processing your foods and making testosterone and making female sex hormones and making thyroid and making all this stuff that you need right so and you see it when people diet for a long time they're all their hormones crash that's a completely normal natural thing especially if you're doing it to the point where you're getting to an unnatural level of leanness that is expected yeah yeah absolutely so okay a really really good synopsis of everything going on there how do they know whether they're spending too much time in the other than a general look you probably are yeah how do they telltale signs that they're in that uh, sympathetic world and so, they're, they're not having enough parasympathetic. So you've got, look, you've got subjective is good and you, you know, an objective measurement. So, so subjective is how do I feel? Objective is what are the numbers, quantifiable data. Yeah. So the first thing that's going to go up is, is going to be your heart rate. So if you're resting heart rate or you're waking, we like waking heart rate because yeah. You, you haven't gotten out of bed, you haven't stubbed your toe on something, you haven't screamed at your kid, you, you know, you, you, there's nothing that should have 
falsely elevated your heart rate. So and that, that's before you rub one out. You wouldn't. That's like before. Yeah, you don't want to rub one out because that's going to jack up your. your yeah. Damn, so, mine's always like one twenty, and I, I can't put it. Yeah. Like our our morning routine is we have clients, and this is you know you, there's a compliance issue too, so you have to work on this. Like my ideal thing is somebody wakes up, they put on the blood pressure cuff. Yep. We use the Omron BP seven thousand. We put that on. Put your chest strap on. Put it on elite HRV. And within three minutes, you have your blood pressure, heart rate, and your HRV. You go take a shit and a piss or whatever you do, and then maybe for some clients they take fasting blood sugar. You know, we, we try to get them to do as much as we can, but we, you don't want to overcomplicate things. Yeah. If you overcomplicate, then they do nothing. Yeah. But as we see what the trends are over time, and the majority of the people that come to us, they're hypertense, stage one or stage two or higher. So we, we've got guys. We were sitting in a um, seminar in London, and we had sixty people in the class, and only three people had gold like world gold. Standard. standard gold standard that's mm-hmm. the one like thank you only three people had gold standard blood pressure and it was me and two other guys and the two what other was guys that? Did, if you mind me asking, 115 over 75 is yeah. gold standard if you hit 120 over 80 that's pre-hypertension yeah that's you, you used to be gold standard but now it's that they brought it down a yeah. bit haven't they? they did they did and the thing is dr alex vasquez has been talking about 115 over 75 for years and the mm. research is there the problem is that it takes around 15 to 17 years for research to actually start being used. And then it takes roughly 30 years for them to start teaching in medical school. So if you look at like all of the new research is coming out, unless you read the research, you don't even know what's going on. Like you're mm-hmm. well behind the curve if you're using old numbers and things. But mm-hmm. like the American Medical Association just lowered the, uh, the heart rate to 120 over 80. If you're above that, that's already indicative of issues. So our goal is to during the prepping to prep is to get them to a good blood pressure, get their heart rate down into the 50s, get their HRV somewhere in like the 70s, maybe 80s, somewhere around there, even high 60s. Once they're there, now we're ready to beast mode. So it's mm-hmm. a it's a continuum. Least so mode. that is least mode? It, yes, so it's a least mode to beast mode continuum. So what we found is that people are beasting themselves all the time. Mm-hmm. They're not taking time to actually recover. And what ends up happening is they just, if they're not getting results, they just keep adding more training, adding more training, and they just get worse and worse and worse. And they come to us and they're like, hey, I've got all these labs. I've been through seven doctors. No one can help me. My hair is falling out. You know, I don't know what's going on. I'm freezing cold all the time. And then you look at it and you're like, fuck, man, have you tried like taking the foot off the gas pedal lately? And they're like, no, no, you got to work harder and then take more food out. No, that's this obviously not fucking working for you. So why don't we do the opposite and give you more food? do a little less work for you know six to eight weeks, get you in a good healthy position. Now we get off the lease mode and go into beasting you. So, yeah. And then it'll be a more traditional, what, what our listeners are probably more familiar with, that style the of- The beast mode, yeah. yeah. They're just like, you know, go fucking prowler sprints and yeah. you know drop sets and every intensifier known to man and bands and chains and all this shit, you know, yeah. which most people don't need anyways. Yeah. Um, different topic. Different topic. <laughs> but you know, So do you find six to eight weeks is the time frame that, I, that you usually find to, to, yeah, to it rectify? Takes, it takes a roughly, you know, when you start doing more cardiovascular respiratory training, um, it takes about four weeks to really start seeing the, like, that's like the big hammer when you really see it, everything drop, like your heart rate drop, your blood pressure drops, your HRV might climb a little bit. And then around six to eight weeks, you're basically starting to, if you've hammered it really well for those two blocks of training, you're pretty much getting to the peak. Like you're not really going to get anything out of that. So then we move out of that phase into a specific phase. So when I program, I look at, 
traditional athletic training. You've got a G GPP, general preparedness, and you've got specific preparedness, SPP. So the least mode prepping to prep stuff is your GPP. We get you ready. Okay, cool. Now we're going to give you GVT. We're going to give yeah. you Milosarsev giant sets. Now yeah. we're going to fucking hammer your dick in the dirt yeah. because now you're, you're in a good state where you can actually get something out of it. Mm. Yeah. Whereas you go into most gyms and the trainer doesn't even do an assessment. They just fucking, let's go do drop sets. Yeah. You know. Fascinating. Yeah, look, I think it's uh, very interesting the point you made about the way we train now compared to what they would have done in the 60s and the, the change in lifestyle around that because you can, once you've trained for a while, you can inflict a lot of damage on yourself in a 40-minute period. And if you do that consistently over time, it, it's just driving you into the ground. Or um, dick, dick into the dirt. Dick, in, <laughs> dick into the Get dirt. Get that in the back of a T-shirt. And, and I think it's worth noting that in these classes where you've got the only two people who weren't pre-hypertensive we're talking about a room of primarily trainers with good body composition reasonable diet and the rest of it I'm, I'm assuming yeah i mean when you go into these classes everybody looks like they should be super healthy yeah but then you've got guys in there with 210 systolic blood pressure and guys yeah. at 190 and that's i mean that's those are a couple of outliers but the majority of people in 140 150s that's not good i mean yeah. that's that's terrible if you look at 69 68 percent of all mortality with cardiovascular disease happens between 120 and 140. So now you say, okay, well, what about 150, 160, 190, 210? And they just don't, they're like, yeah, fuck it. You know, I'm strong. I'm fucking 6% body fat. You know, mm -hmm. who cares? And then they keep doing this. And five years later, their hair is falling out. They can't get an erection. They've lost their period. And, mm -hmm. you know, they can't take a solid shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But at least they can deadlift 300 kilos. Yeah. So that's <laughs> yeah, bro. And then the, the, the pressure that they'll be putting on that, uh, God, I can't even fathom how high their BP must be going. If it starts at 210 and they're, they're pulling 300, it must yeah. be like 1,000 on 500. Or, you know, or you get somebody, what, what's one of the best pieces of equipment to build really good quads? And leg work, press, yeah. Leg press, leg and that press. works for most people. Like, my quads don't grow when I front squat and back squat, but they grow really well when I, they've got really long levers, so mm -hmm. leg press works really well. And so you get on there, Vizalva Maneuver, guess where your fucking blood pressure is going? Yeah. If your face is turning purple while you're doing it, I mean, come on. Like, yeah. Think about what's the long-term issues when you look at the, the endothelial lining and you start looking at plaquing and things like that. Well, that's when we uh, slip in a little uh, five megs of Tadalafil a day and just ease the, those it. blood vessels <laughs> up. It. But uh, that's a topic that Luke and I will discuss another time. Uh, all right, that's a really good uh, overview of uh, lease mode. I, I love it. Mate, we're a um, little bit in reverse here, but how was the, the, the track, the evolution of your career within the industry? Because I gather there was a time where you were very much uh, beast mode and ticking all the boxes that you've just described here. Yeah, you know what? Look, you, we're all young and dumb and full of cum at one point, right? Mm -hmm. Now I'm just old and I, I come dust. So, <laughs> you know, in my 20s and in my early 30s, I was. You know, I was in kind of that poliquin headspace where mm -hmm. you uh, you can't do cardio. It makes you fat and mm -hmm. marathon. Because I'll just ridiculous. jump in there and I do say, look, if you Google uh, Lumen, uh, Lehman, uh, you'll see him come up with uh, Nick and he's jacked off his head. You just say, oh, my God, look at the size of Luke. And, and uh, credit where credit's due, um, Nick's... Uh, He's, he's massive as well. Like, it was Dude, just Nick that period was, of time. Back then, he was so massive, like, scary massive and shredded. <laughs> yeah, just um, big. Yeah. But huge. you look massive, too, because I was going, who's this dude, man? That was the first time I actually saw you. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah that was a good time. That was in uh, Arizona. We were yeah. teaching biosig. I guess it was like an iconic biosig. It was like one of the best of all time. It, it really was. It was. It was a hell of a class. Um, and the, going in and training with those guys with yeah. Derek Woodsky and Charles and and Nick was awesome. And yeah. I did a, a leg training session with with Nick, and I couldn't stand up straight for like two days. It was just yeah. horrendous. Hectic. But uh, anyway, that was beast, mate. Continue. Yeah, cool. So yeah, look, I, I I grew up in that. I grew up as a strength athlete. I did the discus and the shot put, powerlift. I started the powerlifting team in my high school. I kept powerlifting after high school, and then you know got tired of all the people wearing the supportive gear. So I went into bodybuilding and, and mainly physique. You know, before physique was even a category. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I was. I didn't give a shit about health. I, I, I was squatting 700 pounds. I was deadlifting yeah, 730. I was too. benching close to 500. I didn't give a shit. I was fast. You know, I looked great. And yeah. then, you know, that works for you in your 20s. And then you get to about 35 and you go, oh, man, stuff's starting to fall apart. What the hell's going on? You know, I thought I had it all figured out. Then I started studying Joel Jameson's stuff, Alex Vasquez's stuff, uh, Dr. Brian Walsh's stuff. And I went, okay, like, if I want longevity I'm and to, to last a long time, and I got more into anti-aging, you know, I'm gonna have to figure something out. So I started getting into, well, let's look at different types of conditioning. Like we have different strength qualities and you do a certain strength quality for a certain adaptation. Well, is what is cardio? Is cardio cardio? And it's not. Like doing different types of conditioning elicits a different response and that can be bonded in with your strength training to create a full system. And every adaptation should build on the next phase. And so I, I started getting into that when I decided I didn't have to try to be the you know, facading all the time, trying to be the silverback gorilla, yeah. you know, 270 pound uh, alpha male wannabe, you know, so I kind of got over that stuff. Mm. I learned how to have empathy and I learned how to actually talk to people yeah. <laughs> and, and, and get rid of my gorilla suit. Well, you know? And was that always um, when mu- muscle nerds came into fruition? Because way, way, way back in the day, you actually, we actually connected and it's like, hey man, I'm doing this muscle nerd thing, you know, I'm going to come to Sydney and it didn't come into fruition, but um, I think it, 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 the stars weren't aligned, but um, was that always uh, the philosophy of muscle nerds or did that yeah. muscle nerd sort of evolve over time to what it is today? No, it, when, so what happened was I, Zoe, when I met my wife, she quit both of her jobs. This, we had one date, one four day date. <laughs> Two and a half months later, she quit both of her jobs, sold her car and she flew to America. And then, yeah. um, then uh, not just a few weeks after that, I found myself jobless as well. And then I also, you know, I was about to leave that job anyways because my, my philosophies and my ideas were not lined up with theirs. And I was like, man, there's too many people teaching performance, not enough people teaching health, and, and no one's teaching how to train general population. Like everything that everyone is teaching is Olympics or national level, world level, pro. Not, and those, those things will work on some people. If you're training guys in their 20s, they work fantastically well. If you're training people in their 30s and 40s and 50s, they stop working so well, they need to be highly modified. And so we said, okay, I, you know, I've got the performance stuff down. Um, let's teach people how to get healthy, right? Let's teach people anti-aging and longevity and things like that because there was a huge gap in the industry. And now there's a lot of other people trying to mimic yeah. what we're doing, but they're not doing it as well as we are. No, you seem to be like a few steps ahead of the game. I'm always a few steps ahead. That's because I, I can predict where the industry is going. Like I started teaching about the mitochondria three and a half years ago, and that'll be the new thing. There's probably be MLM companies with, you know, like Keto OS, but the mitochondria supplements and all this. And, you know, but I, I study probably 20 to 30 hours a week. Yeah, no, it's crazy, man. Like you, and you're always uh, on a plane somewhere doing another course somewhere. Like um, you, you like you, you, you're finally, I think like next year predicted you can stay closer nah, to home a little nah. bit. Not yet. No, it sucks. It's if people think it's a glamorous life, you know, they oh, you get to go to all these places. 
I get to go to all these places, deal with jet lag, and never leave the hotel, really. Mm. You know, it's not really a fun lifestyle. And Zoe occasionally comes, but I, most of the she time. She hates the travel. So yeah. she will, we traveled two years nonstop the, because we couldn't stay in one country more than three months together until I finally got my visa for Australia. Mm. And so now we're here. So hopefully for good. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. And, and of course, you don't get to see Daisy. That's it, yeah. And you know, that's a, that, just, Bulldog, yeah. that is just crushes my heart not yeah. to see her. But Zoe's Cutest. good about sending lots of pictures and videos. Tell me, Luke, um, do you find that uh, as much as, you know, you sort of said that a lot of people are copying what you're doing, is that almost, not a blessing, but like people are coming to the, because I remember when I first heard some of your stuff at Muscle, I was like, whoa, this stuff, you know, and people used to come away from it. It's like, Luke's absolutely amazing. You'll sit there till you get it at the end of the day, but it's, got to you got to have your head screwed on if you're hearing this stuff you know um and i think that's you dumbing it down as well like do you find that because we're exposed to a lot more of these concepts when people come now to muscle nerds it's it's an easier educate like that almost that base as long assuming they haven't been taught really really bad information yeah but that base is so they're getting a little more out of your courses these it days is, yeah they are and you know we we figured out a while back we said okay how do we how do we make these courses better because we teach i mean our level our foundations course is 500 slides in three days right and yeah. and it's biochemistry and it's physiology and it's it's some very complicated subjects and we we water it down to the big broad concepts of what they need to know mm. and then what we've done now is we have um, pre-course material that we've recorded yeah. so that if they've done the pre-course material at least they're fairly familiar with the stuff and most of the people that come to our courses come through three or four times yeah. because they really want to learn it and I could we could break it down into different levels and we could water it down but we would rather people come back to the full Monty three or four times and really hammer it in and really understand it because it's a game changer when you look at like our program design course with all it's all exercise metabolism chemistry and our uh, foundations course is all basically nutritional biochemistry and, and stress management things like that if you do those two together it's probably going to put you above 99.9 percent .9 of the trainers out there that you know they're spending money on trx fucking certifications goddamn bosu yeah. balls certifications instead of actually learning how the body works and uh, I talk to Luke Tullock a lot, yep. and he's kind of doing the same thing we are, but on a kind of a different level. Yep. Um, so he's teaching a lot of physiology, just stuff that trainers should fucking yeah. already know, but they don't, mm -hmm. and um, they don't they they don't spend enough time in their cert three four to, uh, of learning how the body works, so that when you give them a stimulus, you know what the adaptation is. I can. If I'm going to put you on stage, I can tell you almost to the degree what weight you're going to be at and what body fat you're gonna, percentage you're going to be at. And I can tell you everything because I know the rates of adaptation and how fast and slow we can do things, and we can nail it every time. But if you don't know how the body works, you can't really do that. You're just mm. basically just picking programs just on, by random, throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks. Mm -hmm. And Isaac looked good over in Perth there. Congratulations. Oh, yeah. yeah. He did well. He got the, got the win or he, his first show he placed in every category the second one he placed in all but one because they said he was too big for the category okay, figure. he was too big for fitness because yeah, his legs sure. his legs are massive he never shows them off but his thighs are fucking massive yeah he's uh, one of those guys that you know when you take a close look he's like mm, some muscle there like yeah. you, you sort of skim past him but then you have a second look yeah it's, well i mean we started we started at you remember isaac from mm, yeah, 79 kilos and we took we took a little over 12 months we got him up to 80 79 to 91 and we pulled him back down around 81 82 
It's decent, man. Now if I could just get him to do some freaking gear, I'd be happy. <laughs> like, yeah, and that's all natural. I'd make him, yeah, I'd make him a monster if he'd just not be scared of needles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's always a way. Just, just keep chipping away. That'd be weird. Uh, you know, I think with the physiology and some of the things you're saying there is that the, the point being is that a lot of trainers are doing things and not actually understanding the rationale behind what's going on. And I think this is where the understanding, you know, Luke Tullock and yourself of, you know, these broad strokes of physiology as a starting point, I think is a mm. very wise idea. Yeah. And, and, and I guess the thing is, Luke, it's not necessarily when you think about it, like at first you hear it, it's like, well, that's outside my scope of practice. Well, it's not really because it's big picture type stuff that, mm. yeah. that when you design that program, you can understand why that program is going to work. 100%. And that's mm. the thing. That we're, people are already writing programs so that they should really understand what it does. Like what happens when I give 10 sets of 10 versus this? What if I give you two minutes rest between sets or 30 seconds? What if, how do I sequence that to then um, to basically compound the next training phase and the next? Can I write 12 months of training? Our, our students in our program design class can write out 12 months of training, 12 months of conditioning. Mm. They can write out you know, 12 different nutritional setups and they know how to put, put the pieces of the puzzle in mm. and some, some basic supplementation. And why, sh- why shouldn't people be doing that with GenPop? And I saw a guy, I saw a guy uh, post the other day. So we use the Keystone software which is uh, Travis yeah, Jones. So it's really good. Yeah. It gets so much better every week. They're constantly making uh, updates. And somebody posts in the forum, they're like, hey, are you guys going to make an option where we can write their workout as we're training? And I thought, why isn't their fucking workout already written? Like, you should have months and months. If you've created a plan from A to B, you should already know what the fuck they're going to do mm. 12 months before they're going to do it. Mm. That's, that's professional program design not yeah. just like i'm just gonna make shit up oh this looks cool let's do this you know mm. we could probably go uh, balls deep into uh, program design another time but um i think that was anything else you want to cover on uh that, that lifestyle lease mode type thing before we delve into the next couple of topics uh just while we're on this one you mentioned you know you're a step ahead of the industry where do you think it's where do you think we're going i think I th- well i think that uh, people really learning about the mitochondria will be next. So like this next year, we're going to teach more mitochondria stuff, right? And then I think it's going to go into uh, the relationship between the immune system and inflammation and how that relates to stress, which we already teach at a basic level. But in our foundation stuff, we teach it really big, broad concepts. And then after you've done that, now we're going to we go into the kind of nitty gritty details of, of let's, okay, let's pull some layers back and let's really see how this works in a more detailed fashion once they understand the conceptual stuff. Mm. But I think those are the two things. And that's the stuff they need. And I think, I think that there, people are going to start having the hammer dropped on them, like personal trainers who are calling them functional medicine practitioners. I think the governments are going to sort of start dropping hammers on them because that's you, you cannot use medicine in your name unless you're a fucking doctor. doctor. So if you want to be a doctor, fuck, go back to school. Yeah. But stop, you, you are not diagnosing or treating disease, which is the definition of medicine, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So like we, we, we call our guy like functional physiology. Right, an integrative personal training. That's the kind of taglines that we we yeah. made that we nice. tried to trademark, and somebody blocked us. But whoever that asshole is, when I find out, I'm going to knock their dick in the dirt. But <laughs> uh, but that's the thing. Like, there's nothing. There's not out of scope of practice to learn how the body works. And if mm, you're right. if you're teaching people exercise, you should probably know that. So it's kind of important. And people need to get better at nutrition because a lot of trainers are out of scope. They're they're riding sports nutrition, but they don't have any credentials. So, and you know, clients now that they, they, that's expected. 
and whether it's legal or not where you live, that's expected. You're not, nobody's gonna go to a trainer that doesn't write their nutrition, mm -hmm. but they really need to understand the difference between physique nutrition and sports nutrition, right? Because those are two different things. And some of the things I've seen in Australia, I had a, a girl that was training about 19 to 21 hours, uh, AFL, uh, that weird AFL game you guys have. Mm. And she was eating- Big in Melbourne, not what's big it? No, Big in Melbourne, yeah. yeah. 1,500 calories and like 80 grams of carbs a day. And she was training like 21 hours a day. Mm. That is ridiculous. Con tons of injuries, you know, sugar craving. She's she's you know, uh, bashing out sugar all the time because her brain's like, ah, fuck, I need food. Um, and it was an easy fix. Jump her up to over 3,000 calories, add a mm. bunch of carbs, no more sugar cravings. Injuries went away, and I mm. dropped a few kilos the first couple of weeks. Awesome. But. Very cool. All right. Should we move on? We should. Okay. So one of the things we've had on our list for quite a while, Luke and we've been saving it for you, is the ketogenic diet. Mm. We're happy to have a discussion around around that topic. Yeah, absolutely. I, man, I love all diets. We yeah. can talk about any diet you want. I, I'm, I don't bash any diet. I'm, you know, eat the diet that you're going to be able to stick to. Okay. Ultimately, consistency is what matters. Uh, get consistency over a long time. I'm doing a ketogenic diet right now. And the reason is, is I just came back from overseas. Every time I do a tour, I get fat. And so... I, the first thing I do is go on a ketogenic diet to increase metabolic flexibility, but it's a short, it's a short term. Like I'm not doing this very long. I'm going to do this probably, I might do it to the end of the year. I'll probably right now I'm doing, you know, two or three weeks of just a, uh, a modified ketogenic diet. And then in a few weeks, I'll probably add in some cyclical ketogenic dieting. Then I'll, it's the same stuff I teach people. I practice everything I teach. Mm -hmm. I'll move into targeted ketogenic dieting and then I'll move to a modified low carb diet and then I'll pump my training volume up and I'll crank my carbs up as high as I can while, I, while I'm still able to maintain like mitochondrial fluidity and metabolic flexibility. All right, well, let's, uh, let's delve into a, a bit of a synopsis or an overview of, of a keto yeah. diet and, and what it actually involves. Right, so, so basically, when you're not eating carbs or when you eat very few carbs, your body will start oxidizing fat and creating ketones. And that's to basically fuel your nervous system, your brain. And uh, it's, it's more of a, like a backup generator type mm. thing. And it's not for everybody. It works fantastically well, especially in the first phases of people's training. So, but you don't necessarily have to do a traditional ketogenic diet to pump your ketones up. So like right now, I'm not, I'm eating far more protein and far less fat than most people. But the ketogenic diet originally was made for you know, epileptics to, mm. because it reduces their seizures. And now they've created the exogenous ketones to, to, so that people that you know, are epileptics can actually eat carbs, take the ketones, and keep them from having seizures. So that's great. But people seem to think this is a, a, a ketogenic diet's a relatively new idea. Fuck's sake, I was doing this fucking when I was 18. I was fucking, what, 23 years ago? How old mm. am I? No, eight whatever it was 20 years <laughs> ago it was many, many years, years ago. ago i mean i was 20 yeah it was 23 years ago i was doing this shit like dandy shane reading yeah. body opus had two copies of that started doing it law mcdonald was he had an old website in the 90s that mm. uh, he basically logged everything he did then he wrote the ketogenic diet book and we've we've got records of the ketogenic diet back to 1862 when um, william banting uh, wrote a book on it called letters on corpulence so this is not a new thing atkins in the 70s south beach diet in the 90s um, so they're all spins on keto style nutrition. It is. It's all spins on keto or, you know, modified low carb dieting. And I think the majority of your general population are probably going to do better on a low, lower carb diet, but that doesn't mean a no carb diet. And that's mm. what people think, okay, I'll just cut all my carbs out. Well, what the fuck is going to fuel your training? Because mm. that's your go juice when it comes to training. And the more volume you do, you're probably going to want to add that back. And I think people are getting crazy with adding in shit tons of fat and they're not 
thinking about where the fat's coming from. Mm. Yeah, high circulating levels of fat can cause insulin resistance. Mm. High cir- the, the wrong kinds of fats can screw up your prostaglandin production and make you pro-inflammatory, right? Mm. There's a mm. lot of stuff people need to think about. Um, and for me, a ketogenic diet for people who train isn't necessarily high fat and it's not low protein. Um, you know, because that would be the typical sense. It's actually quite low protein, super high fat, twenty to twenty five percent protein, and then the rest fat, and quite low veg as well. Because quite the low veg, veg can throw really. you out of. Yeah, and that's. I mean, fuck, man, you're not you're not eating any veg because you're worried about your carbohydrates, and people already don't eat enough veg as yeah. it is. And you, you can't eat fruit and all that, and people think fruit makes you fat. There's a lot of shit I could just rant on right yeah. now, but it's because people don't understand nutrition. Um, now, do, do other, I mean, there's always outliers. Do some individuals actually have to have that existence where they, they can't eat many vegetables and they, they can't eat too much protein? They have to have that, that typical, uh, stereotypical type keto existence yeah. to, to stay in that state of ketosis? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll talk about one of my clients in Queensland. She's, uh, she's a state record holder in her for weightlifting. And she came to me because the doctors didn't know what to do with her. Um, she has um, microscopic colitis, so she's got an autoimmune disease that basically attacks her uh, intestines. So um, with her, when we first started, she couldn't eat any fiber. Every fiber, she'd be on the toilet and basically diarrhea all day. And the doctor says, oh, we all, we, you're not going to be able to get rid of this. We can only manage it with some medication and just stop competing because you're, you're just never going to be able to compete again. Uh, and then here we are a couple of years later, and she's won multiple broke her record multiple times and she's now eating stuff she could never eat before avocados and fruits and we still have to be a a bit careful but the first year we were pretty much doing a ketogenic style diet and she was having to eat basically baby food so she would have to peel all of her veggies and cook them until they were baby food consistency and mush and yeah that that helped out a lot you look at people with FODMAP issues and SIBO and things like that. Yeah, they may have to cut that stuff out, but it shouldn't be forever. If it's forever, something's really bad, and you got to refer that out to a, a gut specialist and let them take mm-hmm. care of it. But all right, okay. So it doesn't have to be that extreme. So what's your version of a like between what parameters can a keto uh, diet uh, look like? I mean, honestly, I've seen people go up to forty-five percent protein and still stay in ketosis. And what I mean by that is we're measuring uh, BHB, blood ketones. We're using a ketometer, we're watching that, and they're still fine, like 45, 35, 45% protein, the rest in fat, and they seem to do just fine. But that's taken into account that they're actually training. And unfortunately, like if we look at like evidence-based research, you're not gonna find any studies that show the effects of a ketogenic style diet with high protein and moderate fat and training yeah but the only place we have now we have to look at empirical data which is we have to look at the guys in the trenches actually doing it and i know you've done that with some people uh, um and i've done the same thing with saying okay 20 to 25 percent protein is probably not going to be very good for somebody training five days a week with weights or twice a day or or, or even doing Mm. the the conditioning and all that so we pump the protein up yeah you're going to make some sugar out of that but that's okay because you're burning it off when you train yeah Mm. okay um, so it really could be, and what about carbohydrates? You mentioned, mentioned up to 45% protein, I think. I, I've been up to 200, 250 grams of carbohydrates. It's still just maintained you know, 1.5 to 2 uh, on the ketometer, but I was training twice a day. So your, um, so is your general rule of thumb cool uh, keto if it works for you? There's some, yeah. We'll go through the pros and cons in a second, but it is under the, the caveat that you're, you're, you're checking that, I think it's beta-hydroxybutyrate in the blood. Yep. So you've got a, a monitor and you're, and you're checking that periodically throughout the day, or is it if you're in there, then you're fine. If your levels are sweet. You know what, I, I like taking it first thing in the morning on some people, and it will do it after their training. 
as okay. well. And you'll see like that it's really high after training, especially if they're doing a lot of um, conditioning. Uh, and the, the, the major stimulus is that your liver's running out of, out of glucose, right? So the easiest way to get the liver to run out of glucose is to do aerobics, easy, yeah. right? So um, you know, what we might have people do is the first couple of days, they do you know, a couple hours of aerobics over, the, over two or three days, and they're, they're pretty much in ketosis at that right, point. Right, yeah. right, right. Speed up the process. Speed up the process. And I used to use insulin on myself, and I almost killed myself a few times, but that was when I was young and dumb and full of cum in my early <laughs> 20s, and I don't touch insulin anymore because I'm scared shitless of it now. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a strange beast, that insulin. Yeah. Let's uh, unpack the concept of metabolic flexibility. First of all, what that means and what the benefits uh, downstream of that are. And is that synonymous with the keto style diet? Is that one of the pros? Yeah, yeah, that and, and fasting, intermittent fasting or time constrained fasting or alternate day fasting and things like that can all do. The, the easiest way to stimulate metabolic flexibility or to improve it is to lower your carbs. And again, that doesn't mean no carbs. It means lowering carbs down so that you can increase oxidation rates of fat and carbs. So basically saying, when I'm at rest, I'm going to burn primarily fat. Well. I would say primarily, but it's about 70% fat, 30% carbohydrate. Yeah. And when I train, we're flipping that, right? And that's what, that's what you want. Um, when you look at um, the studies on it, the easiest thing to do is fasting. 24-hour fasting can do it, it's pulling some carbs down low. I wouldn't recommend fasting for most athletes, but gin pop, why not? You know, if, if they can go 18 to 24 hours without food and not have hypoglycemic episodes, and if that's the case, we can throw in some benfothiamine, we can throw in some carnitine, some things to re-regulate that. But if you're going hypoglycemic while you're fasting, that's telling me that you're not oxidizing fat well anyways. So you probably need to, need do to that. fast. Mm. But it's not a caloric deficit will stimulate metabolic flexibility. What I would recommend is people write your diet for maintenance and then pull your deficit off with carbs and then just do that for a few weeks and then start slowly adding carbs back in and work your way up to your carb tolerance. And so and we're just enhancing the, the efficiency of utilization of energy. Correct. Coming Fat, through fats, the more so and then yeah, also yeah. getting your stress levels down. Start working on your stress management. Don't go crazy. Keep, keep in mind, you know, if you if you do more in the gym, you need to eat more. If you do less, you don't need to eat less, right? So if you're pulling back into a deficit, you probably need to do a little bit less training. And we would preferentially in that prepping to prep lease mode phase prioritize aerobics, not meaning that they're that's all they're doing. Like they're still training, but we are doing pretty heavy on the aerobics up front to stimulate that much faster. Yeah. Then the aerobics, we drop that out. Now we start doing hit training, interval training, strongman, stuff like that. And then we start adding carbs until, you know, until they're not getting what we want out of it. Like they're moving the wrong direction. Then we might pull the carbs out just a little bit, or then we might pull fat back at that point, or we might just parlay some of the calories from those in the protein and, and, and work on thermic effect of food satiety. Mm. So with least mode, usually have a, a period of ketosis at the start of it? Not generally? necessarily. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Like I said, it's lower carb, not necessarily low carb. If, if I have someone who's more you know, on the endomorphic side, then yeah, we may give them lower. They may hit ketosis. They may not. I don't. I'm not really right, partial. Right. So more low carb. Just a more low carb. So depending, like for me, for me, low carb is you know 100, 125 grams of carbs. If I go much lower than that, I don't feel right. Right. For Isaac, who's a he's a prototypical ectomorph. Mm. Low carb for him is like fucking 500. Mm. You know. I mean, I I haven't measured him, but I'm convinced he'd probably make ketones at 500 grams of carbs. If I yeah. pull him down to 300, he starts crying. Right. And you know, he needs that. And most of those, this tall, skinny, lanky guys need the need the carbohydrates. So do you find that uh, doing that period of, of improving that uh, metabolic flexibility will fat loss is better thereafter, like their ability to oh, yeah. to oxidize those fatty acids? Absolutely. And as well, you know, because we're, it's, you're, we're using you know, a multifactorial approach, 
people discount aerobics because of bullshit that's been you know perpetuated in the industry but the fact is you recover in the aerobic pathway right so if, yeah. if i get someone who they're doing 24 sets and they're fucking wrecked and they need a lot of rest if they do a couple of a couple of blocks of that lismo training they're able to do a hell of a lot more work in the same amount of time and mm. for fat loss we know density's king right mm. so if i can do more work in the same amount of time or in less you know the same amount of work in less time that's best for fat loss and improving mm. that not necessarily adding volume but adding density to your workouts and the only way to do that is if you recover between sets really well mm. which that you recover in that aerobic pathway not in the sympathetic anaerobic pathways interesting and would the reverse be true as well where yeah going super low carb for extended periods you lose the flexibility to for i mean because that's one of the things we are, are recall broderick uh, talking about the actual uh, those enzymatic pathways to, to break down carbohydrates you know if you go super low carb for or zero carb for an extended period you know your ability to uh, break down and assimilate those carbohydrates and then use them as a energy source and even glycogen loading you know it's it's even in those latter stages of a prep you know or coming into a, a competition or whatnot like your ability to load carbs can be compromised because you just had no carbs for the last four months absolutely you know yeah. so the, the reverse is true where like you said you want to not no carb you do want to have those carbs in there for that flexibility <laughs> no absolutely and you, we look at it as being a if, if it's not a pathological issue like epilepsy there's really no reason to go on a long-term ketogenic diet unless you just want the the kind of lifestyle that and people you know people make up everything's marketing right so hey we've got this fucking keto os you can actually achieve ketosis while eating carbohydrates and it's mm. good for your brain yeah fuck off your brain likes carbs like mm. period mm. your brain yeah. loves fucking carbs yeah. um but uh yeah so we won't use it for long term if i have somebody that you know they they're overweight or obese and all they do is fucking watch Nat Geo and they don't actually train and maybe they're good to get some stretching and walking yeah fuck it I'll put them on ketogenic long term because they've got a plenty of stored energy on their body mm. they're not going to store carbohydrates effectively anyways mm. so they're going to have issues with, with turning sugar into energy yeah, the heavier you get and the more inflammation you have mm. you're going to start mismanaging your glucose and mm. you're going to start mismanaging fat so fuck it if i'm going to take one or the other i'm going to take the carbs out for a little bit of time mm. it tends to make them more satiated i can change i can take carbs out replace that with protein which mm. then keeps them from uh, wanting to binge all the time it keeps mm. them from being hungry and then we can work on getting them moving getting some weight off get that 10 20 kilos off and then they're going to start managing their sugar better so we can start kicking sugar back in Absolutely. So I guess it comes back to what you said before we kick this off. You love all diets. And it's, uh, I mean, if you happen to like a keto style diet and you're more uh, coherent and uh, compliant with that style of diet, then, yeah. then go for it. Like for me, the low carb diet works because I tend to not binge. If I start, and I, I fucking love carbs just like everybody else, but if I start pumping the carbs up too much, then I'm more prone to start wanting to binge all the time. And then that doesn't work for me. So I have to pull them back out a little bit. Mm. I did a three-week keto, uh, eco-keto diet once, which is a ketogenic vegan diet. Ooh. And I just decided to... Out! Get out! Yeah, get out! Vegan! But, you know, hey, you know, if, if I'm a sports it's nutritionist there. and I'm writing these things for people, I've got vegan clients. I need to know what they go through. Yeah. And I don't give people things I haven't personally done to myself. Um, but, like, I've got vegan clients. I've got a vegan staff member. And it's like, okay, Zoe and I go out for, for lunch. And I'm looking at the menu like, fuck, I can't have anything. I'm trying to... So... If I don't put myself through that experience, mm, I can't have empathy for the client and understand yeah. that like how fucked it is for them to actually eat out. And mm, you know, mm. they that's why vegan restaurants exist because yeah. 
non-vegan restaurants aren't very good with their you know they may have one vegan thing on the menu and it's usually yeah. fucking disgusting yeah yeah mm. vegetarian yes vegan probably not yeah. that's they haven't caught on to that it's actually a really fucking easy diet i just ate beans and coconut milk and sriracha and that was it, <laughs> it was boring but it was easy. easy one one pot of beans i didn't have to cook meal prep simple yeah, yeah. beautiful Three weeks later, I was craving meat. I was going to fucking kill a small child and devour its face, but <laughs> decided to eat meat again. And, yeah. and you mentioned, uh, just jump in there, Tommy, you mentioned the, the ketones. Is Do you want to, because uh, as far as I understand, taking ketone supplement, y- yes, you're going to measure ketones, but it doesn't mean you're in ketosis. You're just getting ketones in the blood. Is that is that right with those right. supplements? Like I mean, You do actually like, have to put the diet behind the ketone. You, you can't just load carbs all day and then take the ketone sub and it's like well i'm in ketosis ketones. exactly and, and you know I, I i'm not opposed to the to the exogenous ketones for specific situations like if somebody's doing a ketogenic diet and they want to use those to keep from getting the keto flu cool if you've got you know seizures Absolutely. cool if you're using it for some type of brain issue like some type of neuron neuron issue cool i get it but it's the way they're marketing it saying that oh this will help fat loss no motherfucker like these yeah. are a byproduct of of oxidizing bur- or breaking down fats right if you if you add ketones, your body doesn't have any reason to fucking break but down fat, fat to make ketones, you yeah. dumb shit, right? Yeah. Yeah. So don't take them thinking that, oh, cool, I can eat 400 grams of carbs and lose fat because I'm taking this fucking supplement. Mm. And that's what really pisses me off about mm. them. Yeah. But, you, yeah, fuck, people will take them and then they'll measure their fucking blood uh, ketones and go, oh, look, see, I'm in ketosis. No, you dumb shit. Okay, here's the thing. I'm going to eat 200 fucking grams of sugar and measure. Now I'm sitting at fucking 18 millimoles. I'm, I'm, okay, I've got diabetes. Yeah. yeah. If I stimulated diabetes because I ate 200 grams of sugar. Yeah, in one yeah, 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 good way to look at it. Yeah. Like, takes like, a little more to go into ketosis. Yeah, don't piss on my leg and tell me it's raining. This yeah. is what makes me so fucking angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, you're going to put their dick in the dirt, god damn it. That's it. But um, but certainly have they have their place. You're not knocking them. It's like if yeah, you no. keto flu is a real thing. But so. you got to get you got to get the real stuff. And and I'm by no means uh, really hip with the education on on them because I don't use them. And, yeah. and you know because you've got to look at the difference between the salts versus the esters. And, and I'm not the man. Like there are people that know all about this. That's not yeah. my thing. And I, one time I did a friend of mine gave me a tub of his yeah. uh, ketones and they were all ketone salts and I didn't realize how much magnesium was bonded to some of the ketones and i'm I, so i'm oh i'm taking it and then measuring blood I mean, bhps they're not going up that much so i keep taking taking oh my god the next thing i know i'm in a bathroom with fucking green apple splatters and fucking assholes <laughs> turned inside out oh, but i brutal. did i did lose a couple of kilos but mm, you know magic was part of the thing that i don't understand if you don't have a pathological reason to to use them is um, fuck, man! I can teach you how to make ketones really fast for free. <laughs> yeah, know, just mm-hmm. by kicking your training volume up and you know cut your carbs back enough to not fuel, get rid of all the liver glycogen. You're pretty yep. sweet, right? Yeah. So eat, eat your carbs around your training or during, like before, during, and after training. So all peri workout. Do a lot of walking. Everybody's out doing their steps anyway. So, but go out and walk fast. Try to get your heart rate up to like 130, 140. Mm. You don't have any problem keeping keeping the ketones high, mm. and you don't doesn't cost you anything but time which you're already spending time training anyways and now now you can send make a check to luke lehman and send it to me because i just (laughs) saved you saved you from buying those fucking ketones dr lehman very good it it seems like the efficiency of whatever dietary path you choose is dependent on creating some sort of deficit in energy Mm. initially like what is the the real benefit of that why is it so effective of getting the system malleable so you can start playing with it well, so if we look at, so we go back to the mitochondria, right? So mm-hmm. we're, 
talk about a lot of people that get on the ketogenic diets they get them because they believe they're insulin resistant mm -hmm. and what we're finding there's a lot of new research that's come out in the last few years that shows that really the insulin resistance is a protective mechanism by your body and i remember when i used to teach biosig and we were telling people to take all these fucking herbs and shit to increase insulin sensitivity now i'm like oh fucking face palm like your cell there's a reason your cell doesn't want the sugar in the cell and now i'm forcing it to accept the sugar and now you're causing more metabolic disruption. So one of the one of the big theories that, that I'm more apt to believe in is that you know there's some type of dysfunction across the electron transport chain. Your your pyruvate's coming into the mitochondria, the Krebs cycle saying, Yeah, I don't fucking need you right now. You get fucked, and it turns it back into lactate, pushes it back into the in the bloodstream, which is where I use the lactate scalp to measure that. Yeah. And eventually if the mitochondria is dysfunctional and doesn't want it, how's the cell going to alleviate the issues with the mitochondria? Well, let's make this cell resistant to insulin and resistant to sugar. So now you lose glucose sensitivity and insulin sensitivity. And the only way you get insensitivity back at that point is by training. So mm. movement-based glucose transport. And now let's reduce the glucose load so now the mitochondria can catch back up. So now we limit the influx of glucose that increases or decreases um, oxidative stress at the mitochondria, which allows the mitochondria to get healthy again and start doing what it's supposed to, which is replicate itself and, and, and also destroy old dysfunctional mitochondria as well. And then in that uh, time frame, the, the insulin sensitivity comes back so it can actually utilize yeah. the glucose. This is how, because I get questions all the time, is how, how does muscle nerds have all these girls eating four or 500 grams of carbs a day and not getting fat? Well, it's not the carbs fault. Like carbs don't make you fat, your body's fucked up. And when you mm. fix that, they can crank the carbs. So we might have them on a, on a high protein, moderate fat, low carb diet at first, but within three or four weeks, when they've, when they've really started working on the mitochondria, they've really started working on the cardiovascular respiratory system, we can start adding more carbs, adding more carbs. We've got girls, I've got girls eating 750 grams of carbs a day and they're fucking 54 kilos in weight and are just shredded to the bone. I've got guys that eat 1,200 grams of carbs a day. And, you know, my, my thing is to, to get them to the point where they can eat as much carbs as possible because within, within reason, without mm -hmm. creating a negative aspect of that, yeah. mm -hmm. that way they can fuel muscle growth. That way they can fuel their brain. That way yeah. they can fuel all their processes and they're not starving themselves so that when I get a girl on stage, she's still eating, you know, close to 3,000 calories when all the other girls in the back eating fucking rice cakes and fucking almond butter and eating 600 calories a day. You know, mm. it doesn't have to be that way. Fascinating. And the, is the deficit that Tommy suggested, is that also part of the process to uh, improve the uh, mitochondria function? Does that have to occur to some degree until yeah. things are, uh, are working well? Yeah, absolutely. But, and, but then you have to find out where is that, where is that deficit, right? So we can measure, so we can do measurements for BMR and then we can think about, okay, what, what else you've got the BMR, then you've got keeping your neat up, yep. you know, um, keeping your food. thermogenesis, you've got all these things that kind of go into that. And, the, and a lot of people, they're at a point where they're, they're eating so little that they're only fueling that BMR or a little bit less, and now they're catabolic and their body's lowering BMR by like getting rid of bone and getting rid mm -hmm. of uh, muscle and getting rid of lean body mass. Mm -hmm. So that BMR takes a little bit of a hit, but they've got about 40 to 45% calories that they, they can add back in mm -hmm. without having to worry about gaining a lot of weight because all they're gonna do is stimulate thermogenesis, their mm -hmm. needs gonna go up, thermic mm -hmm. effect of food's gonna go up. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then we can choose specific macros to enhance that like extra protein and increase thermic effect of food. Um, if I have somebody eating a moderate 
fat and a high high protein diet and low carb well now we can start parlaying some of that fat calories into carbohydrates so lower the fat add carbs lower the fat add carbs because now we're increasing thermic effect of food by you know, 10 to 12 percent without even changing any calories yeah so when we build the calories up one of the some of the first modifications we may make is to get somebody ready for dieting i'm going to pump up the protein a little bit to manage hunger um, to, and also to elevate thermic effect of food. So right. I might take calories out of fat and pump up the protein, and then I may take calories out of fat and pump up the carbs without ever changing the calories. So we're making a hypothetical uh, calorie funnel. So they're not eating any less, and actually now they're eating more volume because you know, you're eating things that have lower calories and higher food uh, mass, yes. right, which you makes them happier. Yeah. So then they can create that calorie funnel. They can, they'll start losing. And then when they stop losing or they're not in the range we want them to lose every week, now we pull out, you know, 50 grams of this, 20 grams of that or whatever, and we start trickling down so we don't have to starve them at the end. Well, there was Luke Lehman, part one Mm -hmm. of uh, a two-part uh, expose we're doing expose the, yeah <laughs> the muscle warts and all the muscle nerd there was, all, there was warts and all there was, there yeah. was dick in the dirt there and, was and uh, in all sorts mm. of ass talk yeah which, uh, and there's nothing wrong with dick in the dirt uh, if you haven't tried not. it try it <laughs> yeah, Cam loves it shed some nice sensible light on yeah. the, the ketogenic diet Mm. Um, and he just was starting to lead into mm. the the prepping for prep and how he gets his athletes into this beautiful yeah. state of metabolic mm. balance to yeah. then diet them down. Yeah. So that'll be coming up next interview. It was, it was almost a bit of foreplay there. Yeah. It was just getting us in the mood, then he shut <laughs> exactly. it down. So yes. I hope you the listeners felt that way too. They yeah. just got a little arouse, you know, getting ready to go. And it's like, oh, we're going to come and listen next week. <laughs> Sorry. Very nice. So Luke Lemon from the Muscle Nerds, he'll be back for part two and I look forward to that really exciting stuff and don't forget the uh, Evil Genius Seminar coming up on uh, in March Arnold Sports Festival weekend will be the first one kicking it off on the 15th yep Uh, Broads myself and uh, of course you and then we're back for round two in Sydney on the uh, 22nd I think Tommy 22nd that's right Uh, so for details where do they go for that one EvilGeniusWorldwide.com there are early bird tickets available for 150 bucks which is very very exciting what about yep. if they want to get you? Get me, uh, tomhewitt.com.au, and for yourself, Rodden. Mate, they can uh, just hop on. Uh, oh, oh my, we'll get, I've got to wrap this up. Rickety that up, split. Uh, well, uh, social media, Instagram or, or Facebook. Uh, let's get out of here, Tommy. Okay. Strap yourself in. We'll see you next week. In the millennium